if I get a little loud today, I'm not yelling at you, okay? I am very passionate about this. This whole series, actually, as soon as we hit uh, honor, boy, I tell you, I didn't, I, I, man, I am really passionate about this because I think it's something the church is lacking. The world's definitely lacking it, but we shouldn't just, we shouldn't lack everything the world's lacking, right? So if you're joining us for the first time today or you're watching us on Facebook and YouTube, we're glad that you're here. Uh, we're also glad that you're watching. We're continuing this discussion on the importance of honor in our society, in our communities, and in our tribe, our church tribe. And since this is the time of year that we celebrate Thanksgiving, at the end of today's message, we are going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. Uh, and the reason will be to be thankful for something specific. You can be thankful for other things, but I want you to hone in on something specific uh, that we're going to talk about first. Uh, and it bounces off my last sermon on how honor creates a safe place. And it also bounces off Alan's message last week. Today, I want to give you more scriptural support for that topic, and we're going to probably spend probably a week or two on this honor for the sinner and just this, uh, this idea uh, of showing honor to someone when they fail and fall into sin. I just think it's huge, so I don't think we need to rush through this. The church is lacking this. Isn't it incredible to think about that? The, the buildings that have a cross on them are not forgiving people and working them through a restoration process. It's easier if they just leave because sin is messy. I want to continue to talk about how the church and believers need to get better at honoring the sinner. Now, now please don't walk out of here and go, what, what was he saying? Honor sin? No, I never said honor sin. Honor the sinner. And in case you forgot, before we get into the sermon, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, okay? Like I said two weeks ago, we handle sin well because it scares us when it shouldn't. We don't handle sin well because it's messy, and it is. But we have a tendency to throw people to the dogs when they fall into sin. I actually believe that the cancel culture has been going on long before now, especially in the church. When someone sins, we just want them to leave. It's easier that way. When someone sins, all we focus on is the punishment of the sinner. And I'm trying to remind you of something that took place over 2,000 years ago behind me that took the punishment for them. So we've been learning over this, next, over this uh, year, this last year, that we don't shame people when they fall into sin. We don't pile on shame and guilt. And most of us know, if you're anything like me, I beat myself up more than you could ever beat me up. So who are we to pile more shame onto that person who's already, who's already punishing themselves? We also keep our love on 24 hours a day, right, to everyone. We hold them accountable for sin, but we lead them towards restoration. And if, and if, that, if that is the key, and that is the key, by the way, if, if they want restoration, not everybody does. Most people just run from the church when they make a mistake. Want to know why? Because they are expecting to be shamed, embarrassed, condemned, gossiped about, isolated from the tribe, and punished. Listen, from people who should know better. From people who should know better because they talk about the cross all the time but seem clueless about what they're talking about. 
Because if we see them as, if we see the sinner or the person who has failed into sin, if we see them as heaven sees them, we will be able to honor them without condoning the sin. We don't condone the sin, but we can still honor them. Are you following me so far? We can honor a sinner without honoring the sin. How do you do that? The one word I always go back to for 15 years since I moved here. It's four letters, and it starts with an L. Love. Want to know the other reason that people don't follow through with the restoration process once they've made a mistake? Because the restoration process is work. Dr. Shelley shared this with us two years ago, I think, when she was here. It was a powerful message during inner healing. And people today think that forgiveness means no consequences. I hear it all the time. If, if they've forgiven me, why do, I have to do, why do I have to do anything else to restore the relationship? But in order to build trust back in that relationship, I have news for you. It's going to take work, something people don't like nowadays. They want everything to come free with no price. And it's going to take patience, and it's going to take a humble heart, and it's going to take someone who's thankful that they are giving me a second chance. Thanksgiving. I think what I've been trying to say from my heart are two specific things and maybe more as we go through this together. In your notes, if you're following along, number one is this. When we fail or when someone else fails us, we have to be willing to lean into the hard. We cannot allow sin to make us wimpy believers. Scared to deal with the mess or make us into self-righteous, pompous, condescending, highfalutin Pharisees who are too good to even have contact with a sinner. Right? Number two, something from my heart that I think I'm trying to uh, portray between the books and everything that I've been thinking about for my whole life, when we fail or when someone else fails us, we cannot make the restoration process into a punishment process. We're not supposed to make the restoration process into a punishment process. Did you hear that? It has to be a love process. That, listen, includes the cross in it. This makes most of us uncomfortable. The idea that someone can sin in our tribe and be restored quickly, as if it never happened. That's what we want from God. Why don't we want that from others when they hurt us? Right? I don't understand why they keep bringing it up. It happened a year ago. Well, because you're probably not doing the restoration process and they still don't trust you. So there's still some work to do. That's just your sign. And, and it's true. When someone doesn't forgive us, it kind of hurts, right? But we can't force them to forgive us. All we have to do is ask for forgiveness and leave the rest up between them, between them and God. This makes us uncomfortable. Because we don't like when someone sins and they're restored quickly. Why? Because we want them to suffer pain for what they did to us. And when you look at the cross... That is not what you're supposed to want. Our society may be taking on a cancel culture, but the church should be walking in an honor culture. 
And that includes the sinner or for any believer who fails. Pretty quiet in here. Do we need to do some inner healing? Is your theology being messed up? Well, I'm just beginning. Get ready. You're going to be wrecked by Scripture even. Remember a quote from two weeks ago that honor creates a safe place for people to be empowered in and restored by their true identity. Listen, this is so huge. If we don't return them to their true identity quickly, the enemy's going to give them one. This is why the church needs to get better at this. If we don't restore them quickly, the enemy's going to take over and he's going to give them an identity. And they're going to own it because the church rejected them. Christians, then they're going to say God rejected them. Right? We do represent God, you know. It's about celebrating who a person is, right? Instead of stumbling over who they are not. It is about seeing people, seeing what people are capable of instead of what they've already done. This is what we preached two weeks ago. It's about partnering with their tomorrow instead of keeping them hostage in their yesterday. It's about looking for the wonder in people. I love that line, by the way. It's about looking for the wonder. You know what you have to do when you do that? You have to look past the sin to see the wonder in them. It's about seeing everyone as heaven sees them, including how you see yourself. I'm going to bounce back and forth from, Dan, from two of Danny Silk's book. Uh, I was trying to focus on and, and for weeks, Angel has said, you can't do this part without the book Unpunishable. You can't do it without the book Unpunishable. So I brought it in my office this week. I started to read it along with the chapter that I'm in. And so I'm just going to kind of mesh the two books and then everything that I've logged in my heart for, for years about this topic. Angel and I highly recommend those books, Culture of Honor and Unpunishable by Danny Silk. Uh, just remember, reading a book and not the book, glean what you can from it and throw out what you disagree with, okay? It's, it's a human author. Yes, he's inspired by God, but some of the stuff you may disagree with, so that's okay. It's not the author that we're honoring. It's the things that they're saying that lines up with the word of God, okay? But I want to start out with a quote from Sean Bowles, and I, I'll, I'll tell you, I never thought I would ever quote this guy. He's a prophetic guy. He goes to, he has conferences where he just calls out the prophetic in people, and they go, that's me, that's my birthday. That, you know, it's amazing. But he wrote the foreword to the book, Unpunishable, because he prophesied over Danny Silk years before he wrote it that he was going to write this book. So I want to this. You better lift up your toes, okay? Sean Bowles. In Christianity, we have lacked the emotional and spiritual intelligence across the board for knowing what to do when someone fails us and themselves or themselves. We know we are supposed to live the radical life of love that Jesus modeled for us. Yet, punishment is humanity's go-to. And so many times we end up defaulting to self-protection and harsh discipline instead of a loved-based discipline. Please, please realize, we're going to talk about this in a minute, Dis- the word discipline is still there. Punishment we're getting rid of, but discipline is still there. And we put ourselves or others in a position where we just can't succeed. I love that quote because it really narrowed something down that I've been observing from the church, and this is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about it, and this isn't a feel-good observation about the church and Christians. The way that the church has handled people in sin 
has actually caused them to go into more sin. I'm going to repeat that just so you get this for your own personal life. The way we treat the sinner could cause them to sin more if we're not careful. Instead of setting them up for spiritual success, they've shamed and punished them right out of the church. The one safe place that they thought they had with supposedly cross-Christians, forgiving and redemptive and restoration kind of Christians, you know, biblical Christians. And we're so traumatized in the church when someone falls into sin that we gasp so hard (gasps) that the person walking the dog in front of the church gets sucked in right into the front row. We are so traumatized by sin. And they're sitting there going, what, what just happened? I did not want to come in here. Well, I can't believe they made a mistake. Pastor Mark needs to get rid of them. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Do you think that sins, sin, mistakes, and falling short are more powerful than God's heart for us? No. But by partnering with the spirit of fear, so many of us believe that human failure is this unbelievable, powerful force that will overcome us. And we're the cancel culture now, and we have been for a while, but now we're really feeding into it. And so if someone makes a mistake, they, need to be, they need, just need to be getting rid of. Because what if they affect my family? Well, pray over your family and pray for them, but you know they're still in our tribe, so you need to forgive them. You know, you can have boundaries. It's okay to have boundaries with people who have hurt you, but we don't cancel them. It's not what the cross did. The cross said, let's reset them quickly before the enemy resets them. God has not given us a spirit of fear, so sin should not scare us. But you know what I mean? When someone else sins or when we sin, we shouldn't be like so scared or so fearful of it and that it's messy that we just want to get rid of them so we don't have to deal with it. But God has given us power and love and a sound mind. A sound mind is self-control. 2 Timothy 1.7. So when we fail or when someone else fails us, we lean into the power of God to have the love of God and not freak out or overreact, or overpunish, or cancel people, or ourselves, or ourselves because of sin. Come on now. This is good stuff. As believers, when we are afraid of sin, we project that God is just as afraid of sin as we are. But God isn't afraid of anything. That's so good. That's so good. We got to repeat that. God isn't afraid. Oh, I thought you were supposed to repeat it with me. God isn't afraid of anything. Here's a quote from the book. Jesus had the love thing down, but the Pharisees didn't have a clue. So in the presence of sin, the Pharisees were afraid. But when Jesus was in the presence of sin, he was the solution. Listen, we're, we're supposed to be Jesus we're supposed to be the solution in the presence of sin. Not, not, you know, we don't give them forgiveness, but we lead them to it. He was the remedy. We have the remedy for their sin. You have the remedy for your sin. He was powerful. Do you know what makes you powerful? Love. His love in us makes us powerful. 
I want us to understand and try, try to fully grasp what happened at the cross because in your notes, through the cross, Jesus introduced something into the world that we still don't fully understand. You ready for this? This will mess your theology up. He has made us unpunishable. If you don't get anything else from today, I want you to get that. I'm just going to give, uh, I'm going to give you a doubting Thomas minute. I want you to see this with your spiritual eyes. I don't want you to be convinced of this because I'm preaching on it. Don't look at this through your worldly eyes and what your parents have done to you or what your children have done to you or what the church has done to you. I'm telling you the truth this morning. Jesus Christ, because of the cross, has made you unpunishable. But you have to accept him as your savior, right? You have to believe that and have faith in that. And while you struggle with your theology for a second, let me remind you of something that you just sang this morning. My God is able to save and deliver and heal and restore anything that he wants to. He's a God of restoration. No sin scares him. And he wants you to be restored quickly before the enemy gets a foothold on you of shame and guilt. If you struggle to be thankful this week because life has just been difficult, that, my friends, is a reason to be thankful. That's a reason to rejoice. He has made us unpunishable. Have you ever thought about how we Christians believe this message for the lost? We say to the lost all the time, God is inviting you, a sinner. They're not cleaned up yet, a sinner. You're a mess. You're a hot mess, some of you. I'm not talking about you, but people we talk to. He has invited you to come into his kingdom and become free and clean of your sins without punishment. So, why do we believe that for the lost, but we don't believe it for ourselves? Why doesn't the church believe it for inside here? I just have these questions that I don't get how far the church has gotten away from the cross. Some of them have gone so far away now, they're like, oh, it doesn't matter if you sin, God will accept you. We're not going there, right? That's the abuse of grace. Don't, don't go there with the, in this message. Just receive this message. Don't go on an evil bunny trail. Not the Easter bunny. He's a black bunny. He's very evil and will give you an identity that's not true. Why don't we believe this anymore for ourselves? Huh? I want, I want to know. Why? This is the question that has been raging in my heart for years. Do we serve a different God that, than what we are inviting other people to? Kind of sounds like it. Would you agree? Well, I can't forgive myself, but I can believe for forgiveness for you. Come to the Lord. Come to my church. It's awesome. But I can't let that thing go that my pastor did to me in that church 15 years ago. Or I can't forgive myself for messing up in the church. Well, they don't deserve to be punished, pastor, because they don't know any better. But you did, and you were supposed to never fail again once you became a Christian, and you deserve punishment. You were supposed to be perfect. This is the message in the church. It's called legalism. Follow the rules. Be perfect. 
and then you'll make it to heaven. Um, I'm pretty sure what Jesus did on the cross was for the sinner and the saint. I mean, look how messed up the church was back then, right when the cross event was happening. The Apostle John had to say something about how we deal with sin after the cross. Here it is in 1 John 1 and 2. This is from the uh, New King James Version. I'll be using different versions this morning. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Okay, so we're not supposed to keep going on sinning and then just, okay, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, uh uh-oh, that means it's a possibility. Huh. They say it in the Word of God. And if anyone sins, what do we have? We have an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Do we actually know and believe that Jesus is with us at every moment of every day to enforce the victory that he has already won over sin in our lives? Do we believe that by having Jesus as our advocate that we have the best lawyer in town? Do we? Because we don't act like it. John goes on to spend the rest of the book trying to get us to understand that because of the cross, it's no longer about trying not to sin. And it's all about fulfilling the commandment to love. But how can we love well if we don't believe what the victory that Jesus won on the cross really means? Verse 2. And he himself is the propitiation. I practiced that. Propitiation for our sins. He's the propitiation for our sins. Do you know what that word means? Atonement. He's the atonement for our sins and not for ours, but also for the whole world. So listen, he's talking about the lost and ours. The world is those who have not come to Jesus yet. Do you see that? There's two people involved, the sinner and the saint. When you fail, you have the greatest lawyer in town. And he himself is the propitiation. I should make you say it, but some of you might accidentally curse. Propitiation for our sins. If you don't understand what the word propitiation means, you won't walk in it. And it's the word for atonement. And I think the Amplified Version gives us a great definition of these words. So watch this closely. Amplified Version of the same verse, verse 2. And he, and the great thing about the Amplified Version, it gives you a description in parentheses. And he, the same Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. What does that mean? He's the atoning sacrifice that what? Holds back the wrath of God that would otherwise be what we deserved. Because of our sinful nature, our worldliness, and our lifestyle. Wow. Wow, who said that? That's an amazing verse. That's a reason to come to the communion table thankful for what he did on the cross for you. Propitiation. That's your word for the week. Practice it. Use it at work. Jesus is propitiation. You better practice it or you're going to say a swear word. I don't know what one, but you're going to say it. What does that mean? He took the wrath of my sin on his shoulders, and I don't have to punish myself when I make a mistake now. I can ask for forgiveness and let it go. Learn from it so I don't do it again. And move on. I love this. I love this. You thought this was going to be a hard message? This is an incredible message. We need to be so thankful for this. 
And you need to let that thing go. Get, stop punishing yourself. It's ridiculous what you're doing to yourself. It's not biblical. It's not holy. And it's the enemy. In your notes, Jesus' death on the cross, listen, satisfied the need for God to punish sin in man. Jesus' death on the cross did that. Satisfied the need for God to punish sin in man. And so if God's not going to punish it, why are you punishing it? Hmm? Who are you? Who are you to be above God and negate the cross? And therefore, by removing the need for punishment, he removed fear from our relationship with him. We don't follow God out of fear. If that doesn't give you a reason to be thankful when you come to the Lord's Supper table today, I don't know how to help you. We don't have to live in fear in our relationship with God. He removed the punishment. 1 John 4.18 from the NIV says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. In your notes, do you know why we have this desire to punish people? This is at least one reason, and it's something that fear produces. Do you know why we have a desire to punish people? Because we feel the need out of fear to control people when they fail. Sin causes to respond with fear and control. And Danny Silk said in the book, <laughs> I didn't know if I wanted to share this or not, so just laugh at this, okay? But it's very, very, I'll just say it. This would be a good thing to unlearn because it makes us look like idiots. I want to bring a balance to this message. So in your notes, how many of you know that although Jesus set us free from the punishment of falling into sin, as Alan and I both said, it doesn't mean that you get out of the consequences of sin. In other words, God still disciplines his children. Why? For our own good. He doesn't do it out of anger. He doesn't do it to isolate you or to separate you or to get rid of you or cancel you. He does it for your own good. He wants you to learn from your mistake. So there is discipline, parents. There's a difference between discipline and punishment. Punishment we usually do out of anger. Discipline we do out of love. Okay? God disciplines his children for our own good. Listen and remember this from Hebrews 12, and it's an echo of Proverbs 3. Verse 5. Hebrews 12, 5 and, then five, through six, 5 and 6, and then 10 and 11. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. You have forgotten, my friend, of the words of God and that you've been adopted into a family that doesn't believe in punishment. And you are a son or a daughter. My son or daughter, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved or corrected by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises, rebukes, or corrects every son or daughter whom he receives. Just as human fathers wisely discipline their children, so does God. Why? Because it says there in verse 10, he disciplines us for our good. And this next part I did not know was in there is amazing because this is our goal as followers of Christ, that we may share his holiness. Discipline is part of the perfection thing, part of the holiness thing. It makes you a better person, makes you a better Christian, makes you a better father, makes you a better mother, makes you a better child. 
Makes you a better pastor. I think sometimes people think pastors are not in a position where they can be disciplined. <laughs> yeah, you ought to be on the pastor's cabinet. You enjoyed that too much. He disciplines us so that we may share his holiness. Did you hear that in your notes? In order to become holy or spiritually mature, we have to learn to lean into the hard, lean into the discipline that comes from the Lord. In other words, we need to own the consequences of our sin and follow through with the restoration process when we do sin. We have to own the consequences of sin instead of running from them. You know, literally, this is what Christians do. We have, we have found a loophole. Uh, when, when somebody hurts us or when we have failed, we just run to another church because we think that's the reset. We think the reset is going into a new body where nobody knows our story. I got to tell you, when you live in a small town like Dubois, they're going to find out your story if they don't already know it already. And honestly, you can move to another state. They're going to find out your story. You can't hide your story. You're not supposed to. You're supposed to be restored from your, the bad things in your story. And then leverage it for the kingdom of God, not be ashamed of it. Right? But we're, we're runners. We run to another place where nope, just to start over instead of just facing it and doing the hard work of restoration. No matter how long it takes or how hard it is, we will do whatever it takes to become restored with our God and with our loved ones, right? Oh, he goes on in verse 11. For the moment, for the moment, all discipline seems painful. It's true, right? It doesn't feel good. Rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Who we're supposed to be trained by discipline. Lean into it. Although punishment and discipline are closely related, when dealing with sin and the restoration process, they yield a different result in a person who has failed to sin. And I can't help but to just share this little snippet from the book of a character, and I won't mention his name. You have to get the book, Unpunishable. But he had to go through a restoration process as a leader who fell into sin twice in two different churches. And this is what he said. I really want you to lean into this. Don't fall asleep. The way I describe it is that when the first affair happened, I was punished, which resulted in a shame, humiliation, and no power. I was ashamed, humiliated, and disempowered. The second time, I was, I was disciplined. And here's what I discovered. Punishment is way easier than discipline. We think punishment is hard, and it is, but it's nowhere near as hard as, as actually walking out the process of getting your life cleaned up. My life was a wreck. I liken discipline to open-heart surgery. It's a big operation with a long recovery period. I had to learn a whole new way to live, a whole new way to be me, and I had to be okay with the process taking as long as it took. But in that process, the things that were never addressed for the first time Remember, this is through discipline, not punishment. All of a sudden, now the Holy Spirit's revealing the root of the issue. For the first time, the shame, guilt, and fear finally got healed. Punishment only made those things grow in my life. I wanted to go on that little bunny trail just so that you know that we don't preach the abuse of grace here. That you can sin all you want and God's just going to ignore it. There are consequences to sin, 
Remember what his word says. Nothing can separate you from God's love, but sin separates you from the presence of God. Nothing can separate you from his love, but sin can separate you from his presence. And listen closely to this. Eternal punishment was not meant for you. Eternal life was what God wants for you, but you have to receive him and choose him for that. Okay, let's close this out. In order for us to really change our response to sin, we need to gain a deeper understanding of the new covenant. And I'm not going to do that for you today. We don't have enough time. You're going to have to do a study on your own. And I'm going to just tell you to go to the book of Galatians because Paul addresses the Galatians about why they are being deceived. And his conclusion was that they were trying to practice two covenants at the same time. They wanted the rules and Jesus' new covenant of love. And they were trying to do it at the same time, and it wasn't working out because they kept reverting back to rules. And the reason that Paul is so concerned is that these two different covenants produce different results. Only following rules produces fear. And when we're only focused on rules, the result can't be anything but punishment. Listen, you're either a slave to the law or you're a free son or daughter. Let me repeat that. You're either a slave under the law or you're a free son and daughter. Love and fear have no fellowship with each other. And I've been saying this for years now. I put it in your notes the way they said it, and I'll tell you how I've been saying it because some of you have heard it for years. But in your notes, when you insist on punishing yourself or someone else, you are actually saying that Jesus Christ's death was pointless. I've said over the years, you've delegitimized the cross. That means you've taken away its authority when you punish yourself for messing up or someone else who has hurt you. You have taken away the authority of Jesus and forgiveness and redemption and grace and mercy and restoration. It's pretty scary when you, take, when, you, when you start becoming a God and you start dealing out punishment and unforgiveness. Chew on that for a moment. <laughs> Here's how I want us to approach the communion table today in your notes. We must know that in Christ, we have not, in fact, been given a relationship with the rules, but a relationship with the Spirit of God. We have not been invited into a relationship with rules. We have been invited into a relationship with the Spirit of God. And that is a relationship that practices love. Remember the whole love practice? We're not supposed to make the restoration process a punishment process, but a love process. And if I love God, I will obey his commands, the Bible says. Do you know that that verse is not about God trying to control you? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That means if you love me, it will be proven by the way you treat the things that are important to me. If you love me, it will be proven by the way you treat the things that are important to me, to him. In other words, the way that you manage yourself in our relationship, and this goes for any earthly relationship as well, right? The way you manage yourself in our relationship will be a clear indicator of your love for me. And God says, you're only going to know what's important to me if we have intimacy. In to me you see. Not into yourself. Into me you see. Intimacy. 
Danny says something pretty powerful in the culture of honor, and I just had to put this up there. This might hurt some of you a little bit. Uh, if you don't know God, he's going to look a lot like you. <laughs> uh-oh, and all God's people said? Ouch. You'll make up your own version of who he is, and you will become the rock star in the relationship. And I have news for you. If you are punishing you or you're punishing someone else, you don't know God. You don't. You don't know his heart. And God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit want you to approach the communion table today as free sons and daughters who are unpunishable because the punishment has already been taken for your sin. This is the greatest reminder in Romans 8, and verse 1 and 2, and I know some of you are thinking of it. Therefore, there is now no condemnation, no punishment for those who are in Jesus Christ because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of rules and regulations and legalism, which brings death. It kicks people out of church when they're bad because we just don't want to deal with it, and you were supposed to be perfect once you got saved. That's the message of the church, sadly. But can we be thankful for this today as we come to the communion table? I mean, really thankful. Because we cannot have a culture of honor here without believing that we are all free sons and daughters whose calling is not to deal out more punishment. Our calling is to keep our love on. Now, we're going to take this. It might be a little messy, but this is what I want you to do. I want everyone to come down the middle aisle Grab your communion and go back to your seat. So even if you're on this end, you don't have to walk through the chairs. Just go out, and I want to form a line down. I want you to take communion in a minute. After the worship team partakes of the communion, they're going to come to the stage, and we're going to end with the song Rattle. Why? Because I don't think we really pay attention to what we're singing sometimes. And if we're not paying attention to what we're singing, is it really worship? Let's approach the communion table thanking God for the forgiveness of sins. And remember, in order to take communion, there cannot be any unforgiveness in you. If you cannot forgive, then you cannot be forgiven. So before you come, listen to me, it's crucial. You can start closing your eyes right now and just asking the Holy Spirit to reveal if there's any unsettled business in your heart, if there's any sin in your heart. Before you come, you have to work out your unforgiveness issues with yourself and with Don't come unless you have, and if you can't, don't come. We have both types of elements today. We're trying to get past COVID here, so we're doing the, if, you're, if you feel safe enough, we're doing the regular communion, and, but we're also doing the disposable. If you're not, if you take a disposable, you can return to your seat. If you're going to take regular communion, you can stay here, take it, and then just put your empty cup right back in or set it on the table somewhere if you don't want to touch other cups. We want, to be, we want you to feel safe. Reasons for to receive communion is to remember the death of Christ until he comes again. It is the Lord's Supper, the communion of the blood and the body of Christ. The bread was broken, symbolized and striped body of Christ for our healing. The grape juice symbolizes the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of sin. Each believer is supposed to partake often. So we, I just did a membership class, and every membership class, the number one question is, why don't you do communion more, more often? And I always say, shh. Don't tell my superintendent that. I personally had just didn't grow up in a church where it did it, so I just, I don't think of it. Sadly, I don't. And so I told my pastor's cabinet to keep, hold me accountable to that. We want to do it more often. 
And so that person last week inspired me today, and then God used the word, the song rattle to, to make me want to do communion. So anyways, that's where we are now. It should be taken in faith, but only before you've done a proper examination of your heart. So I'm going to walk you through some prayers as you, do, as you examine your heart. I don't, want you, I don't want you looking at me. I want you to be examining your heart. This is your invitation. You who truly repent of your sins, who live in love and peace with your neighbors, and who intend to lead a new life following the commandments of God and walking in his holy ways, draw near with faith and take this holy sacrament to your comfort. And humbly kneeling, make your honest confession to Almighty God. And here's our prayer. Father, we have deeply sinned against you and we deeply grieve. We repent and are sorry for failing you. Have mercy on us for the sake of your son, Jesus, who died for us. Forgive us, cleanse us, and give us strength to serve and please you. We honor and praise your name. Amen. Let's say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In the night of his betrayal, Jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said to his disciples, take and eat this This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In like manner, after the supper, after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of this, all of you, for this is my blood of the New Testament, the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many, for the remissions of sin. For the remission of sins. Isn't that amazing? Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Please come to the table when you're ready. Down the middle aisle, out the this outer aisle. Thank you for listening to this message from Dubois Light and Life Church. We hope you're blessed by it. To hear more messages or get more information about Light and Life Church, please visit DuboisFMC.org or check us out on Facebook.